night. It is a classic Sierra Nevada pale ale. Welcome back to the Bible is Art Notes, where we talk about miscellaneous things, things that are going on in the world. And I want to talk about an interview that Joe Rogan did with Matthew McConaughey. And in this section, they're talking about Matthew McConaughey's religious beliefs, and they talk about miracles. And here's what he says. I don't know what to do in my daily life with the burning bush. I don't know what to do with that. Um, I do know what to do with love your neighbor like yourself. I do know what to do with Matthew 6.22. If they I be single, that whole body will be full of light. I do know what to do with some Proverbs that I can take into daily practice and go, oh, I felt my life. I felt improvement. I felt success in my relationships, in my relationship with the day, with my career, by following that, um, by treating others how I wanted to be treated, the golden rule. So I, I take the practical stuff myself um, and try to try to utilize it and, and pick out what can work for me. When you say when you say you don't know what to do with the burning bush, like what do you, what do you mean by that? I don't know what to do on a daily basis with the teaching of, um, and and then he, you know, and then he 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 showed up as a, a, a as a burning bush or the magic tricks, and I don't know what to do with, and Jesus healed everyone that, he, and he couldn't walk, and now he touched him and he can walk. I don't know what to do with that. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't I don't know how to take that into my life and go, oh, there's something useful and practical and healthy for you, Matthew, that you can practice there. So the magic. Um, that leans in towards, you know, what we would call now more fantasy. I don't know what to do with that. I, there's, there's philosophies, and there's proverbs, and there's teachings that I think are very valid and very helpful um, that we could all be reminded of that are in the Bible that I do find quite useful. So Matthew McConaughey says that he doesn't know what to do with the miracles. And so I want to talk about the nature of miracles and some underlying assumptions there. So he doesn't know what to do with miracles. That is to say, he talks about how he doesn't understand how they're, they're practical or how he like fits those into his life. To understand that, let's look at what the Bible says about miracles. And uh, there's three main words in the Bible that are used for miracles because those give us like a description of what they are. They, they are the, the specific words that authors use tell us about the character of these things because miracle is not my favorite translation it's the it comes from the latin the vulgate miraculum which is just the translation for one of those words uh, uh wonder it's it's come to miracle has come to take on this sort of sense of magic trick that has that is um like breaks the laws of nature and it comes with a lot of baggage now there's there's something that's helpful about the concept of this kind of magic-y thing, but people get a lot of ideas with, with miracle, and I, th I think it's best to um, put it aside and just look at the words and what specifically they mean. And there's three main words that get used in the Bible whenever these kinds of actions happen. And the first one is a wonder. And what this means is that it's th that's the thing that's closest to this amazing thing, right? You see this thing that happens, and it's amazing, and you're like, whoa, that's incredible. And that's one of the functions of miracles, is that it's to inspire awe. 
And that's, uh, it, it's, it's closely connected conceptually to the next word, dunamis in Greek, which is uh, an act of power, powerful deeds, mighty deeds. And so the idea is that, is that you have these incredible things that happen and it inspires awe in you. Now, what does that tell us about these miracles and about their practical function? Well, if you knew someone who could do these things and you had access to that person, I don't think that there's anyone that would think that that was impractical. This is someone whom you can pray to, that you can ask for him to do things. And if this is the kind of person who can do amazing things, I think that would be self-evident why that would be uh, eminently practical. Now, the, the third word that gets used, and, and this is uh, going to be extremely helpful, is that it, it is a sign. This is used in the Old Testament with, for instance, the signs uh, and wonders in Egypt, like the plagues. And it also gets used in the New Testament with Jesus's mighty deeds, his miracles, his actions. And it's particular John's gospel. This is John's favorite description of these things that he does. And I think John uses it that way so that us as readers would be extremely clear about um, the nature of these things is that they're not merely acts of power. That is, they're not merely magical, amazing things, is that they are signs. They point to something else. They're symbols. They have another layer of meaning on top of it, right? Just like if you give, give your wife flowers, you're not just saying something uh, practical that she is a botanist or likes botany, um, but you are saying another level of your emotional state towards her, your psychological state that you love her, right? And so the, the mighty actions are signs, right? And you're supposed to be able to read these signs and it tells you something. It tells you something about the character of the person that is doing that sign. And so you have to look at these signs and tell me, okay, how does this, it, it's just these miracles, these acts are just characterizations, right? Just like in a story, uh, characters have dialogue and they have action. And these are just a set of actions. And so you look at these actions and they're meant to characterize this character to give you a description of this character. And that's how they function with whomever does these things. So God, prophets, Jesus. And so it's telling us about this character and that's eminently practical, right? Because you get to learn about this person. Well, let's just look at some of those things that we learn about them. So when you look at the things that they do, what are miracles? Well, there's a couple different ways that you could categorize them. One way to think about them is that a miracle is a new causal injection of something into this world. Now, of course, and this is well-worn territory here, but you know, the common objection is these are violations of the laws of nature is not true because if, uh, and this is a brief sketch of you know, a longer discussion that can be had, but it's simply of this, what we call laws of nature are just abstractions from observations we see about regularities in the universe. And there's no, no textbook we get that says these are laws that can never be broken. These are just regularities that happen in, uh, with regularity. These are ways that God has seen to govern the world. Now, if he wants to govern it differently at different points for different reasons, 
that's up to him. Just like we have our regular actions in life, we're made in his image, and so we act in certain ways, we get up at the same time, but then we have, you know, regular time and festival time, times that we want to do surprises for people, right? And so you have regular and irregular time, so, so there's, a, there's an analogy there. And so sometimes God wants to break in and inject a new piece of causation that is outside his regular means of action. Um, so you can just think about it as natural law is just a description of God, the way that God normally works. And uh, miracles are, the, are a sort of irregular way that God works, a, a way that God sometimes works, a special way. That's kind of description of what they are. But let, let's think about this a little more. So you have this new injection of energy of something of, in, into the world. Well, when was the first time that happened? Well, that happened with creation. The first sort of miracles are in creation of God creating everything in the beginning. Later miracles in the Bible, more injections, these are new creational events, right? So typically they're putting back the world back together in certain ways. So healing wounds, right? And so it's telling us about this character that God so loves his people that he's willing to act differently, to tear the world apart, or to put it the opposite of that, right? To put it back together in these ways because he cares for it so much. And that's eminently practical to know that there is someone uh, above us who cares us so much, who's willing to come in here and, and do these mighty, awesome deeds for his people. For instance, in, in Exodus, which is uh, where the place where you have the first sort of congregation after Genesis chapter one of these mighty deeds, with the plagues, the plagues move through heaven, earth, and sea. And just like those three sections were the way that things were created in the beginning, the plagues go through in each of those sections and they're meant to, to, to tell us that God is decreating this world for the Egyptians. This tells us uh, about, about God's activity. And we see these, these great acts congregate around great uh, moments of, of judgment and redemption. So the Exodus and when Jesus comes. Because when Jesus comes, he's the beginning of the new creation. That's, that's one thing that we learn about uh, miracles. But the other thing that we can do, we can look at them and see that they, they can be categorized in different ways. So, for instance, some miracles are restorative, some are uh, judgmental, and some are glorificatory. I don't know, it's a better word for it. So some miracles, when they happen, serve as judgments, like the plagues. Some of them serve a restorative function, so uh, people are healed of things, people are brought back to life, Elijah and Elisha and Jesus. And then some are glorificatory, so that is to say, there's no problem that's being righted, but you take something earthly and you glorify it, you make it better, you make it more glorious. So this would be something like the turning of water into wine. Uh, wine, this great eschatological uh, uh, beverage. You have water, which is a, a more mundane thing, and then you have wine that's used for celebrations. You know, the priests in the Old Testament were not allowed to drink wine. They had to pour it out when they did a drink offering. But we are instructed that we have to drink wine when we're in, in God's presence because there is a glorification here. And then you get the wedding feast of the Lamb and there's all this good food and drink, right? Or an another one would be multiplication of loaves and fishes, right? So there's nothing um, sort of wrong with the situation. 
but it's this, it's this overabundance. So when Jesus comes and he brings his kingdom with all these signs and wonders, it's telling us about his kingdom, that his kingdom is going to bring judgment, it will bring restoration, and it will bring glorification. So, so it's not just that things are going to be brought back to the original Edenic state, but they're going to be, like Paul says, we are going to have glorified bodies. Bodies that are better and more glorious and more amazing, right? Presumably there's going to be more incredible physical properties that we don't even know about. That tells us a little about them. The other things that we learn about miracles is, is not only about the character, about the person who's doing this, but eschatologically, like what, what we're going to see in the future. This is a foretaste. So Jesus, when he comes, his main message, same message as John the Baptist, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or it's near, it's right around the corner. So Jesus' ministry is inaugurating God's kingdom. And so the things that he do, he's doing are characterizing us, are telling us about his kingdom. And so we're like, oh, what, what, what is this kingdom like that Jesus is going to bring? What's it going to be like when he returns and consummates completely brings his kingdom. It's going to be a place of just full restoration and glorification and, and right? Those are things that are eminently practical about miracles. But so these new creational, these new kingdom things that they're putting the world back together. And so it's, it's telling us about God that he, he, his heart is to put the world back together that we have soiled. It's also always fascinating to think like, okay, if, if the inverse was true, if there weren't any miracles, what might we say, right? So I often think about this when you hear the argument um, from Carl Sagan and many people today about, you know, the, 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 we're so small in this huge universe and, and this is taken to be um, a sort of argument against God. And, as, and, and I often think like, let's say, let's say the, the universe was only the size of our solar system or our galaxy. Presumably an argument would be like, well, you know, if God existed, this thing would be much bigger, right? And so it's the same thing with these uh, miracles. If God didn't do these, we would probably say, well, you know, if God exists, wouldn't he like uh, the, 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 uh, do some cool things every once and again, you know? And yes, yes, he does, right? The other way we could uh, categorize some of these miracles is that some of them, and, and I just recently got this distinction from an interview between uh, Jonathan Pajot and uh, J.P. Mar Mar Marceau, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, and where he talks about some of the miracles are, and I thought this is a fascinating distinction, are accelerations of nature. This is my phrase, but uh, what, describing what he, he was talking about. And some of them are these just like completely new causal injections. So something would be like the multiplication of the loaves and fish or are the, uh, the turning of water into wine, where you could do these things if you had more time and you had your grapes, you, you can, water can turn into wine, right? You just need more time. So it's not that there's, uh, no, in that case, there certainly was a new <laughs> causal thing, but, but you could still get there. Or you think about like, you know, one of the, one of the first commands in the Bible is for, for these creatures to multiply and Jesus multiplies that. And so this tells us another thing that's helpful about, about God and his world is that it's not just that the eschaton, the new heavens and the new earth, Jesus' kingdom that he's bringing in 
is a completely new, causally unrelated thing in the world. No, but it's, it's that God is, these things in the world, he's going to bring them to fruition. So he, he's, he's going to accelerate them. And so the good that he's, he's created, he will complete, you know. And so if you translate this into like Pauline idiom, you know, he who has began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So what we know about God doing in the human soul will happen in many other places as well. But there's another point that's sitting underneath, an assumption about this perspective that I think is very important. And that is to say the assumption is, is that only sort of didactic or, or imperatives or commands are going to be helpful and practical. Now, I recently published an article on the Theopolis blog, which I will link before, called Against Practical Preaching. That fleshes out this whole argument uh, to give a 60-second version. I think it's a typically American, like, pragmatic thing. I don't know where it came from, this obsessive attention towards practicality, and maybe it comes from American pragmatism. Maybe it has something to do with revivalism. I'm not sure. But somewhere along the line, we, we've become very myopic in our view of, of the human person, of what we need. And so, you know, Matthew here says, I don't know what to do with this. I don't, it's not practical. And, and I could say in response, you know, Matthew, I, uh, um, I don't know what to do with Interstellar, his movie. And the idea is that, is that we are not just practical beings. And the means of our transformation is not just through commands or proverbs or didactic uh, means of communication. We are aesthetic creatures as well, and, and we are formed by stories, right? So, you know, I, the example I like to give is like, let's say I come home and my wife tells me something about our daughter, about something lovely that she did, and I say, I don't know what to do with that. What, what does that have to do with me? It's, it's almost profane, right? It, it's my response indicates that I have profoundly misunderstood something here. Is that what she's telling me? It's like, wh how, what practicality does it have in me? It's like, I don't know, delight, joy, you, you know, all of these aesthetic, these moral, these psychological um, responses to it. It's eminently practical. And Matthew McConaughey's whole vocation <laughs> is narrative, it's aesthetic, it's, it's non-practical, right? I think that we need to realize that at some point, we have come to believe that the primary means of transformation is the command. But if your grandfather tells you a story, him in the war, or your, your wife tells you a story about her growing up, these change you, but they might not have the sort of practical effect of what am I supposed to do with my hands in 15 minutes? And the fascinating thing is more often stories and aesthetic objects and experiences more profoundly transform people than lists of commands. I think this is why, for instance, the Bible is mostly stories and poetry. It's not mostly commands. You think about um, David when he sinned with Bathsheba and Nathan comes to him and he does not say, David, you sinned. He says, let me tell you a story. There's a man with a ewe lamb, etc., etc. Why? 
I think because the idea is that a command would be unable to access David's soul. He needed something more potent, and that was a story. Now, of course, he tells the story, and then he provides a command. So it's not that commands are unimportant or unnecessary. They absolutely are. We are made in God's image richer and deeper creatures than a sort of a robotic mentality IOs, you know, of input outputs and we receive a list of functions that we perform. So let me know your thoughts um, on this and on uh, uh, practicality and miracles. Um, I'd love to hear it. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll uh, see you next week.